We're live. My guest today is Greg Landua. He is the founder of Region Network and the only person in the world who gives me mustache envy. Today we're diving into Region Network, one of the earliest projects in Cosmos. We'll talk about the NCT token, which uh, is a uh, neutral carbon task token, token, neutral carbon ton token, how it works, why it's useful, uh, whether carbon offsetting is effective in carbon climate change. Also, we'll talk about Region 5.0 and the recent upgrade, public good funding, and a lot more. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks that blockchains don't eliminate the need for people and why he's increasingly bearish on the Cosmos ecosystem. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on the Interop is investment advice. And if you enjoy this content, please consider staking or moving your delegations to Interop. My long-term goal with the podcast here is to not take sponsorship and staking with us is part of building a sustainable business model. We're live on Evmos, Quicksilver, and I'm very excited to announce that we made it into the Osmosis and Juno active set this week. And we need your delegations to keep moving up the ranking. So please stick with us. Just look for interrupt in the active validator set. My guest, Gregory Landia, is coming up next right here on the interrupt. <music> Gregory, how's it going, man? I just need to unmute. Oh, right, mute. Yeah, good to see you, man. How's it going, Seb? <laughs> uh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, it's good to have you on, uh, finally. Um, Great to be so, here. We, we did an Epicenter episode a couple of months ago, and you know that was the first time you had been on Epicenter. And so, yeah, I think a lot of people are familiar with Regen. Uh, I, I don't want to go into like, you know, what is regen and everything here? I think we can kind of keep the sum keep it kind of summary. If people are interested in diving a little bit deeper into the history of regen and, and the mission and everything, they can go and listen to that episode. I want to talk here about um, well, I, I want to talk about this recent upgrade because there's a lot of technical bits in there that are really interesting and uh, also interesting in terms of you know moving uh, moving the cosmos ecosystem forward in terms of governance and uh, and, and you know, there, there's, a, there's a ton of uh, interesting DAO ideas in there as well, uh, governance proposals, et cetera. So like, I want to talk about that. Um, also discussing this neutral carbon ton, there's been a little bit of, you know, skepticism uh, recently about uh, carbon credits. So getting your thoughts on that too. And then, yeah, uh, I think there's other things we can discuss like public goods funding, which is another big topic right now. So, um, but yeah, briefly, just for those who are not familiar with you, if uh, if there are people out there who are not familiar with you, please uh, just give us a brief introduction. Yeah, well, so um, super excited to be here. Um, I'm one of the founders of Region Network. Um, I think we were the second blockchain in the Cosmos ecosystem to enable IBC. Um, so right after the hub did, um, maybe the third, but we were right there at that moment. Um, and at that time, um, we built a lot of, a lot of the core have been participating in building a lot of core infrastructure. My background is actually more on the ecology and environmental science side of things. So I've been working in regenerative agriculture, um, and supply chain work, certification work and carbon markets for Gosh, I mean, my, essentially my whole adult career. Uh, so since 
20 to like 2004 or something. What, how, what, I guess we're coming up, I'm getting old. It's coming up on two decades. Um, and region <laughs> network. Yeah. And region network. Um, we, we built region network and, and continue to evolve region network really to fill a core gap in the institutional and infrastructure uh, needs for appropriately coordinating action on climate, um, valuing ecological resilience and regeneration. These are sort of really core concepts to a functional economy and a functional society. They also happen to be massive profit centers for, you know, it's, it, it, this is going to be a multi-trillion dollar per year business, the natural capital and climate space. And so it sort of both serves this mission and existential need. It also happens to be a burgeoning and vibrant uh, economic opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I think within Cosmos and probably even like broader into the broader crypto space, uh, you, you've been... I think one of the leaders in leveraging blockchains to create a market uh, that incentivizes, you know, companies and, and people to be carbon neutral. Like, can can you explain for for those who don't know? And I, I'm certainly I certainly consider myself kind of not super well versed in carbon credits. Uh, like, what's what's a carbon credit? What's it for? And what's the goal of the carbon credit system? Sure. Um, and this is a complex subject, so I'll sort of do a superficial overview of things, and then maybe we can get into some of the complexity um, later if it makes sense. But just broadly speaking, um, carbon credits are a commodity, right, from a sort of like what are they perspective that are used to balance the um, carbon budget on a balance sheet of a company. Um, increasingly, right? And so the value of carbon credits comes from the fact that in, in 2023, it is now consensus amongst business and regulated, re regulatory agencies that carbon emissions should be considered a liability for companies meaning it's a cost because every carbon emission that is emitted every every you know ton of carbon that's emitted out in the atmosphere has a societal cost and creates risk for the very company that's emitting it right and so th this is complex but there's increasingly there's about 20 years of work going into quantifying how much that cost is and how to sort of pay for it. And there's different schools of thought about how to pay for those costs, right? Some people would like to just regulate it or tax it, right? And other people would like a free market mechanism, like a carbon market, where you, you actually sort of like pay for offsets. And so interestingly enough, you know, carbon markets by conception are quite a, they're a market driven approach to dealing with this negative externality while also incentivizing positive externality. So it's a, it's a mechanism to fund public goods and, um, and fund the amelioration of public bads, I guess you could say, <laughs> negative externalities in, e in the economic lingo. Um, so essentially, again, to sort of recap, there are 
there's sort of carbon liability that um, companies accrue by emitting carbon. Generally, that is tracked according to commitments that companies make. The recent sort of like world coordination process was in Paris, right? And so people talk about the Paris Accords that happened in, what was it now, 2020, 2019? Paris, 2019. I think it was right before COVID. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And everybody yeah. came together and basically said, hey, we want to have a global economy that is carbon neutral by 2050, meaning we're capable of sequestering or pull it or, or, you know, our in-breath and our out-breath of carbon in the global economy is balanced by 2050. And in order to do that, every industry and every business and every company made a set of commitments. Those commitments are encoded into sort of scientific baselines right? Which then allow you to calibrate how much you need to offset if you're a big corporate or if you're a blockchain protocol or if you're an individual. So it's, a, it's an incentive mechanism, essentially, is what you're saying. So it, it, it incentivizes businesses and, you know, also, also people to some extent, since, you know, people, you know, choose with their dollars, which businesses they deal with, they, 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 they want to conduct business with. It incentivizes businesses to limit their uh, their carbon emissions um, through the acquisition of these credits. Uh, now, it puts a cost you know, that, on carbon emissions and therefore yeah. a positive value on carbon sequestration and avoided emissions. And mm. that then incentivizes businesses to reduce their emissions by to be smarter to choose more energy efficient manufacturing or transportation options because it costs them money if they're inefficient, right? So, and it, yeah. so it creates a price to balance this thing, which we all need, which is a healthy biosphere and sort of a balanced carbon cycle. So when considering the, the cost of carbon, so I, 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 yeah, what, what are, what are the, what goes into considering the cost of a carbon unit or like a carbon ton in the case of this you know, nature carbon ton token that, that you yeah. guys... Yeah, uh, well, this is a doing. whole world, you know. Um, so there's the social cost of carbon where people calculate the damage that's done through uh, climate change, which, you know increases the frequency and magnitude of large storms, for instance, um, or, um, you know, increases the cost of air conditioning or increases, there's all these costs that increases the number of flooding events, these sorts of things. And um, so that social cost of carbon is different people come up with different numbers, right? So there's a quantitative process to sort of add up the cost is generally between a hundred and $150 a ton is, con is sort of considered. And that's like an academic exercise. That's not supply and demand necessarily. That's like the social cost that's been calculated. Um, generally speaking, markets operate by supply and demand, right? So, so we might have a value but value is not always connected to what the price of something is. So 
Um, currently, price discovery in the market is how much demand there is versus how much supply there is. Um, so there's different market segments. There's compliance markets like the European Union, right? So the European Union has a compliance market where all they have like they manage uh, a you know, there's regulatory and government oversight around the carbon markets and every company has sort of their allocation and they have to balance that on the carbon market. I, we could check, we could Google it really quick. Generally, like last year at the peak of carbon fever, when everybody was like, wow, this is going to be big. Uh, it was over a hundred dollars. So it was like somewhere around 95 euros uh, per ton over in Europe. And, and it, you know, it's somewhere between 50 and 100 euros per ton in Europe at any given moment. That's the trading range for carbon um, due to supply and demand factors. Um, then there is the voluntary carbon market. And that voluntary carbon market um, has a much broader price range. So the price range in the voluntary carbon market is from like $2 a ton up to like $1,000 a ton. <laughs> it's, a, it's a giant... Um, and then there's sort of projections about if every company that has pledged carbon neutrality and has signed up to these commitments, um, and if the SEC follows through with its regulatory compliance for public companies, and if and if all these things that have happened continue to happen, there's this demand curve that has been projected. That demand curve essentially says that the price of carbon is going to move up upwards towards $150 per ton um, by about 2030, um, just due to demand pressure because of how much supply there is, how much demand there is. And that's the that's like World Bank and World Economic Forum and other and McKinsey, like think tanks who are trying to look at data and judge and place a price point based on the supply and demand. Not and again, not the social cost, like not how much damage the carbon emissions do if they're not um, mitigated, but how much just like demand there is versus supply and what that does to the price. I see. And so what, one of the things that I remember from our conversation last time on Epicenter that maybe I'd like to revisit here is the fungibility of, of carbon credits. If you look at other commodities, things like gold, things like, you know, food commodities, there's a, I think for, for most commodities, there's probably a fairly standardized um, system for grading commodities. So you may have, you know, I think gold is probably fairly standard, right? Gold is gold. And there's like a, 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 a threshold. Yeah, you have the carrot, the carrot system. The yeah, like yeah how, exactly. How pure, the, how pure the gold is. Um, and then right. how, how much it weighs. So there's like two dimensions. How much does it weigh and how pure is it? And, and then so there you can say, OK, like the, uh, 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 an ounce of gold that that adheres to this standard is worth, worth this much. And that's measurable. And it's it's you can you can measure that and test for it. In the case of a carbon credit, it, it feels to me like the. Um, the effectiveness of one initiative to reduce carbon versus another uh, and in all of the different ways in which one could try to reduce their carbon footprint uh, is fairly varied. 
how, how does the market account for these variations? And what are some of the unintended consequences of like this, you know, the, this effective non-fungibility of carbon credits on actually reducing carbon? You're muted again. Sorry about that. That's a fantastic question. And it's really the core question in a lot of ways that Region Network is being built to answer, right? How do you grade and sort and allow discoverability, price discoverability in a rational and logical way according to a set of quality for carbon is one of the primary functions that Region Network is aiming to provide to the marketplace. So... Um, <clears throat> there's different ways I could answer this, um, but I want to start by just sort of like outlining the different candidates. And like, this is still very early days for this market. So there isn't consensus about like what the market is going to choose to grade carbon, right? Um, complete consensus, at least. There's there There are arguments and there's still sort of like, there's competition to see what this is going to actually end up being, right? So just to like put that out there. Um, okay, so step one, um, one of the primary, so, so taking a step back, there's two dimensions to think about. One is the scientific certainty about the claim that's being made. That's one dimension of quality. How certain are we? And it costs more money to be more certain. And you see this to some degree with like gold even, right? You know, if you, you have things that are assayed and certified and third parties have weighed, right? You have a high degree of certainty that you're getting what you say versus like, you know, you bite it and you're like, yeah, it tastes like gold. <laughs> it feels about right. Okay, that feels like it's about an ounce and it, you know, has... Right. So you can see, like, the more effort you put in, the more intersubjective verification, the more different people attest to the, the veracity of something, the more sure you get. So that is true also in just normal commodity markets, but it's extra true in carbon markets because carbon is a odorless, tasteless gas when it's that's it, diffused in the atmosphere, when it's in the form that we're trying to mitigate. And, and remove and put into forests or soil or carbon removal projects. So, um, so you need a lot more sophisticated methods to verify a claim related to carbon. So that's number one. So the first dimension is just like rigor and quality of, of the science behind the claim. And we can get in, like we can dig into the, the sub attributes of that. The other attribute is, and I like to put these on like a X, Y axis and, you know, think of them as, you know, there's like, there's like scientific quality and then there's impact quality. Like how, how, if this carbon is in a rainforest, for instance, and it's being stored in a rainforest, how many other benefits and services is it giving us? Right. Um, so how charismatic is it? How powerful, what's the public goods story that's being brought into the marketplace by this. And so you have that X, Y axis. And generally speaking, that's sort of like the carbon price discovery axis, right? And then you can dig into that. And there's differences of opinion about quality, public goods, like different people want different things. 
Maybe some people want a healthy agricultural system. Maybe some people want forest conservation. Maybe some people want it to be completely a machine world and they want giant machines that suck carbon out of the atmosphere. You know, people have different preferences. And so therefore that, that uh, relays into the, 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 the marketplace. And then there's a scientific rigor. Okay, now let's 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 like disassemble that pattern into some of its component parts. So this is going to be a little jargony. I'll try to say a term and then unpack what that term means, generally speaking. So um, concern num- quality concern number one is durability or permanence. That those two words are interchanged, and e- even in the marketplace, that's how long is the carbon in question going to be sequestered and stored out of the atmosphere, right? And in some, like in an agriculture carbon credit, the durability and per- and or permanence is fairly low because it's a shorter carbon cycle, like because soils naturally breathe and they have a tighter relationship between then, for instance, like um, turning it into biochar or um, even a forestry project, the carbon cycle is a little bit longer, right? Okay, so so durability and permanence, that's, that's, a, that's a prime concern. And for some people, it's the highest concern. The second is what is generally called additionality. And additionality is how sure are we that this wouldn't have happened through other means? that it required a market and a price in order to do it, right? Um, Or another definition of additionality, depending on, you know, the market preference is how sure are we that the action that we're funding is responsible for the outcome, right? That's additionality. Is there a tight linkage between the fact that I I have this contract with this farmer and this carbon was sequestered, right? Um, Which is independent of, are we sure? And then there's how sure are we, right, about the claim, right? Um, <clears throat> so that's the certainty. So we have um, permanence, additionality, certainty. And then there's uh, a term called leakage, which is um, can we be sure that this project sequestering carbon didn't make someone else emit carbon somewhere else due to like a second order effect? Where it's like, oh, I put in, you know, I preserved this forest, but they just chopped that forest down over there. <laughs> so it's the, the net carbon impact was the same. So you can see those are fairly complex and they require sort of like a, an observation and surveillance apparatus that's quite sophisticated to be able to both, uh, you know, and a contract apparatus is fairly sophisticated because you're making multi-party contracts about a pat- particular place and you're trying to observe these multiple dimensions in order to generate that value. So um, I'll pause, see what questions. It, it seems like it seems like what what you're saying is that these assets, in order to be priced accurately, have various axes of scientific, but also maybe some amount of. Su- subjective uh, qualities that allow, yeah, that allow them to be priced accurately. How, how effective can we, uh, how effective can we hope that these assets are actually priced in 
And how confident can we be that these methods of measurement are, are accurately representing the, the carbon that a specific credit is offsetting? And, and, and I think what's really at stake here is the legitimacy of carbon credits as an effective, as an effective way to offset carbon. I guess the subtext of my question is how much of this is greenwashing and how much is actually, you know, actually doing good for, for the future of the planet. Yeah. Um, it's a totally valid question. I think, so the answer to the, you know, so, so like, the, not the answer to the subtext, but the answer to the sort of specifics that you were asking about. So um, there's two ways that we try to address uncertainty related to claims. One is to be transparent with the market about the level of uncertainty. Because markets are good, like people, people are uncertain about lots of things. We, that's, we have insurance, we have all of these different cool financial mechanisms that are built to deal with uncertainty. Markets are uncertain. The, life is uncertain. Everything is uncertain. This is no different. Um, what's important is that you're transparent with the level of uncertainty, right? And that there's a process to improve the precision and accuracy over time, right? So what's, what's, what's important is that we have a clear process to improve the level of certainty associated with claims over time and that we're accurately representing the level of certainty that we have right now. Okay, so that's number yeah. one. And that's true with anything, like any financial instrument, any stock, any everything, 100% of anything that anybody ever buys has a level of uncertainty. And this is what I think doesn't get sort of like, we don't wrap our head around everything. Everything, you know, the Fed interest rate, the everything is like foggy and, you know, we have to figure, we have to calibrate. And, and actually dealing with uncertainty is what markets are great for. The, 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 this is the magical thing of, of like a market approach to something. Whereas if we were trying to create a bureaucratic approach, right? And this is like, this is the interesting thing. So, okay, we could have two different conversations. We could have, is... I don't know, we could say, oh, is climate change even a thing? And is carbon even a problem? Is Should we even deal with this? I don't really want to go into that, right? I, I think, like, I'm starting with the premise that we have consensus that, you know, that, yeah. that we have enough certainty. But, but like, look, there is uncertainty related to everything, right? The, yeah, I guess, so I guess that the, the, the issue that I, I see here, and I haven't given much thought to this, so I'm, I'm sort of thinking out loud here, but... That, yeah, it is. It, there is a market approach, and markets are great with dealing with uncertainty. I, I agree with those statements. the The thing is that carbon credits and the incentivization to leverage carbon credits has been, at least in Europe, uh, widely incentivized by policy. Mm -hmm. I, I think is accurate, right? So, so in Europe, that's true, which is not true in the United States, right? Which is so, which is not true in the, the United States. Carbon yeah. markets in the United States happen almost independently of any 
public policy, although the policy will come later because that's how things work in the States is that the market yeah. drives the policy instead of the policy driving the market. Yeah. So from a European stand perspective, I've, I've mostly uh, been skeptical of, of carbon credits and, and the incentivizations mechanisms because they've been driven by government, by, by, by governments and by the EU. And I, I don't trust those institutions to make the best yeah. decisions. I think there's historical precedent there. Um, and then the broader question that I've started considering here is to what extent does, to what extent has the policies around uh, incentivizing carbon emission reduction through carbon credits perhaps been an accelerator of, you know, the, the, what I think is, you know, a, a looming energy crisis uh, in Europe and perhaps across the world. And, you know, to be more specific there is, has government policy around, you know, uh, uh, ESG, et cetera, uh, really accelerated, you know, not taking into account the kind of black swan event, which was like a, a you know, a, a hot war in Ukraine and um, in, in the context of reducing investments in, um, in, uh, in, 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 uh, in um, nuclear, re reducing investments in fossil fuel um, uh, uh, research, et cetera. To, to what extent are, are, are these policies maybe responsible for um, putting us in a, in a tight squeeze in terms of our access to cheap and affordable energy? Uh, in no Is this something way. you've given some talk to? No way. I, okay. I mean, I would say right. there's zero. <laughs> Moving zero, on. <laughs> so, so there's two, there's just a lot of different things. So different people have different opinions about nuclear, for instance, but broadly speaking, nuclear is, is a low carbon energy source. So if what you're aiming to do is to decarbonize your grid, um, you know, you, you would probably choose nuclear right over Russian gas, for instance. And so that's a different, there's a different argument. Taking However, there's a However, different argument I'm sitting taking here in, there. I'm sitting here in Germany right now. And, uh, you know, I was, I was having a chat with my father-in-law yesterday talking about his energy bill that, that, that's, you know, more than double. Well, but, but, but Germany so. <laughs> decommissioned their nuclear and that wasn't yeah. driven by, the, so, so there's two different things going on. One is if you place a price on carbon and you say, as a society, we want to decarbonize our energy grid, for instance, um, that's good for creating resilience against you know, petro real politic and geopolitical, like, like there's actually a complete alignment between placing a, like dealing with the reality of the, like the thermodynamic and geophysical reality of carbon cycles, right? And the geopolitical reality of bullies and war there's a complete alignment between those two things. Okay. Sometimes there's other political challenges like, oh, we don't want to deal with this or we won't want to deal with that or other, there's special interests, democracy's messy, things get, but in no way is dealing with like creating a, uh, like a healthy carbon cycle for our economy at odds with also, you know, it, that creates resilience and independence in a, global world of 
you know, control over energy resources. That's what that does. So I, I would say they actually like line up really well. And that the static and the confusion that's happening in Europe is due to other things, not, you know, in, in like Russia or whoever will, you know, it's like all of a sudden being anti-nuclear becomes this synonymous with being like pro, you know, I guess healthy climate or something. But that mimetic, like we have to look a layer deeper. There's propaganda, there's mimetic warfare, there's all sorts of things going on which are trying to confuse and cloud the decision-making process. I can't comment on all of that, but you know, I don't yeah. think sort of like having a yeah. carbon market in any way, you know, undermines um, sane energy policy, I guess. Yeah, I think then it's probably it's probably safer than to disassociate the carbon market and the policy. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the I, I, I do believe that it is the policies that have led us to uh, to the situation that we're in in Europe. The policies are complicated thing, right? Different people yeah, lobby yeah. for different policies, and it's not like a unified thing. So people are people want to, you know, like. Like, yeah, like, how do we know, how do you know that Russia didn't fund all of the, all the nuclear decommission campaigns in Germany? Just curious. Possible, yeah. I, mean, I would say the likelihood that they put money into that is nearly 100%. Yeah. Why? Because they benefit, they profit from it. It's just like, you just follow the money and you'll find out why something exists that way. So yeah. someone needs to look I, behind Greenpeace, <laughs> right? What? But but and Greenpeace Greenpeace does amazing work in the world, but they're also like super. You know, they have their perspective. You can disagree or agree. Sometimes they're on the right side. Sometimes they're on the wrong side. You know, where are they getting money? Where is it getting funneled from? You know, it's all pretty complicated. So I want to get out of the complicated thing and get back to sort of like there's uncomplicated parts of this, which are. You know, for instance, like, let's get back to crypto. Okay, there's a very linear and clear relationship between what we're doing and the value that a protocol like Osmosis, for instance, um, has in the marketplace. So there's a huge, so, so the growth of our industry requires new people to come in and engage with the functionality um, and for the industry to grow as a whole, the, then you know, with that influx of new energy and new talent and new capital, you know, our, we have a healthier industry. We have a healthier ecosystem. That's, that's the basic dynamic. Now, there's a lot of people who don't want to engage with crypto because they have concerns about energy usage. And, you know, like we can unpack what about that is rational and what about that is irrational? Uh, we can have this different conversation. I'm just stating that that's a, that's a big thing for a lot of people, right? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, is, it is a thing that is mostly, I mean, for most blockchains, you know, it, 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 an irrational uh, concern, um, I, I think. Um, well, I think we would agree. I would say... It's a completely rational concern that gets blown out of proportion and is misunderstood. That's what I would say. 
I'd say it's a completely mm -hmm. rational concern because everything that we do has a, we're beings of carbon, you know, running, running computers of silicon that require usually carbon energy in order to keep them running. And in order for us to have the conditions for health and wealth and success, we need to like not shit in our own nest, essentially. Right. You, you, you have to keep the conditions for your welfare good. It's just like as if, you know, if you had a, <clears throat> you know, I, let, let's see, like if, if you are running, it's like if you're running, ex, if you're running a generator in your basement. Right. And it's filling your house up with carbon monoxide. You have to take some action to make that go somewhere else. Well, there is no somewhere else on planet Earth. So every blockchain and every business and every human has, we have to coordinate to figure out how to not just be exhausting our planet. Like that's a thermodynamic geophysical reality for, in order for us to have economic activity, right? Like we require yeah. healthy planet for economic activity. And, uh, and, the degree, wait, and so let me finish this up. So the degree to yeah. which a protocol can say, you can engage with us and we deal with all of that problem and we give you money, you become more competitive in the marketplace. It's that simple. You be, it's a competitive advantage to, to efficiently deal with that because guess what? People aren't dumb and they do realize that there, there is a rational concern there. Now, like again, it gets blown out and people have different interests and it becomes this distorted, this reality distortion field. But there's like a core, like rational logic there, which is the more efficient and effective we are as business people or as blockchain protocols or as communities at dealing with this core existential challenge, the more attractive we are to new people who are thoughtful and engaged and have money and want to come and do business with us, right? It just creates a healthier, more dynamic marketplace, essentially. Hmm. So what, so tell me about this, uh, this uh, nature carbon ton token that uh, I think will go live We'll be on osmosis next month. Yeah, uh, you, hopefully we'll be live in March. It looks like everything's uh, lining up. It's been a it's been a long winding road to get everything all together. Um, it's more of an interoperability issue than anything else. Um, we can talk about that beside. So Nature Carbon Ton is like this first generation tokenized carbon credit um, that that allows um, businesses and protocols to. Um, offset their carbon footprint or to or to engage in speculation that more and more people are going to want to offset their footprint and that this as sort of like a you know as a as a business opportunity is going to grow so it has the it, you know, has two different forms of utility there um, so nct um, as a first generation tokenized carbon credit is sort of their legacy carbon credits that are coming off of the the sort of largest and most well-renowned verification body for voluntary carbon credits, which is Vera. These were tokenized by Toucan, 
which is a tokenization protocol. And we helped co-create some of the standards about what got into that sort of basket. So talking about like what's fungible, what's not, we helped in, we leaned in with a body of other actors, helped set those standards. And now NCT is being bridged over from Polygon into the region marketplace. And then people can do what's called basketing it. And that turns it into a fungible IBC token which then allows it to move to osmosis. And we can talk, there's a really cool thing happening in this partnership between region network and osmosis to build the liquidity pool and sort of create access to this carbon credit to be offsetting protocols and to be bundled into all sorts of other things because it's really kind of the fuel for the regenerative finance um, economy, I would say. So yeah, let's talk about that partnership. And, and also I'm curious, what are some of the, Technical, you mentioned there were some interoperability issues because uh, I believe this is a standard that you guys have built and you've, you've built some custom SDK modules uh, around this, uh, this, this, this new token type, I think. Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, so we built the EcoCredit module, which is a token um, standard that runs on region ledger. Um, and we basically had to reconcile our both IBC token standards and EcoCredit token standards with a um, Polygon, like ERC-20 token standard. And the, the interoperability challenge here is that this isn't just an ERC-20 token. These tokens have sort of like a payload of metadata and functionality that has to go with the token because it has to be able to be retired. You have to keep track of who bought the token and then retired it to actually have the system work. So message passing and more sophisticated bridge stuff is, is required. And so we had to build that out basically to be able to create this interchain interoperability to a level that other people haven't yet, you know, that, that use case hasn't been top of mind for a lot of the bridge folks. So um, we worked in tandem with Toucan to build a custom bridge between their smart contracts on Polygon um, and Celo and our blockchain so that there is sort of like this ability to flow this particular token standard back and forth and make sure that the accounting is square wherever the tokens go in terms of retirement and issuance and other things. Um, so... And then once it gets to us, what's cool is then it's IBC and it can go anywhere. So we have amazing things happening over on Evmos, um, really cool things happening on Stargaze and this exciting launch on Osmosis. And so the launch on Osmosis, sort of a, a protocol to protocol partnership, which is very exciting. So the Osmosis community voted to pre-buy, I think like a five-year supply of carbon offsets, right? And then do liquidity provision so they're offsetting and then they're doing liquidity provision. And then there's sort of a constant purchase price. And then there's other um, Stargaze and other folks have voted to do offsetting. So you can start to gauge the demand and we can create liquidity with real utility that's creating this sort of internal carbon offsetting economy um, so that protocols, again, are climate positive, carbon negative. And this is sort of like this first generation um, carbon credit in the IBC world. Um, yeah, and it's launching in March, which is super exciting. Um, I think there's gonna be about 300, if I'm not mistaken, there's gonna be about 300,000 tons of liquidity, um, which represents 
something like you know so a an average protocol depending on how you the, how many compute nodes are running and how far you take the carbon accounting is going to use between five and ten thousand tons a year um, to run it to run itself um, so um, you can kind of get a sense of sort of like the demand dynamics and the liquidity dynamics um, that's getting bootstrapped and sort of spun up um, through this launch. So the osmosis chain through a governance proposal bought 300,000 tons of, uh, it's about 150. It was, it was less than that. There's oh. also other liquidity, okay. provide, like Regen is providing liquidity. Mm -hmm. Other po folks are, I think in total, it's around three, 300,000 tons. Okay. So, so there are, so effectively, there's going to be a liquidity pool on osmosis that is that represents about 300,000 tons of carbon. Yeah. Um, what are, yeah, what are the kinds of things that token holders can do with these tokens, and how how is it offsetting uh, carbon? Like, how is it helping offset carbon emissions? Yeah, so each one of these tokens represents a ton of carbon that has been verified to be uh, stored, right, and uh, according to these standards. So the utility of the carbon is you basically, you retire it. So you render it non-tradable and you retire it to a specific address. And then that address can sort of claim carbon neutrality according to, you know, the number of carbon tons that it's required Um you know, related to their carbon emissions budget, right? So the core utility here is as, again, and, and it's a little bit of a clumsy term, but it's as a commodity, right? And there's, as we were talking, there's all these ways that it's not really a commodity, but it's use, meaning it's like grain where its utility is to turn it into bread, not just to have it. Right, and the same is true with carbon. It, the, the the utility of the NCT and the other carbon credits that are coming online, which we should talk about, the region native carbon credits which are coming online, which is really exciting. Um, we should talk a little bit about that. But the utility is really to to buy it and retire it. Like it's it's use, it, its use is its core utility. Okay, so 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 this retiring of the of the credit means that effectively you can't you can't like buy a carbon credit and be like effectively like long long you, you can long, long, of yeah. course, but then you're speculating that someone else wants to buy it and retire it. Okay, or if someone else right. wants to speculate on the fact that somebody else wants to buy it and retire it. But it has a use. Like what I'm just saying is there's this utility and that utility is to create, is to actually retire it and take it out of circulation and to use it. Once it's been used, otherwise the carbon counting scheme wouldn't work, right? If you can trade it after you count your, like, like I can't be like, oh, I bought this carbon credit. So I'm carbon neutral and I'm going to sell it to you. And then you can be carbon mm. neutral too. It doesn't, right? If, I, if I'm making a claim, I take that carbon out of circulation. And then it's out of circulation, so it's used on a you know regular basis. I see. Right. Um, yeah. Tell me about this other uh, carbon token, this Regen. Well, token you just so Regen is built to allow people to manage the minting process of carbon credits and other eco credits, biodiversity. There's a whole burgeoning marketplace 
that assigns value to conservation and regeneration outcomes. And again, this is a giant industry that's in its formation phases um, that is enabled and fueled by blockchain, right? But this is independent of this is independent of the blockchain world that this, you know, this whole thing is happening. Billions of, like, just to contextualize, the global carbon markets right now, you know, the full global carbon markets, voluntary carbon market last year was about uh, $2 billion and it grew, it doubled from the year before and the year before that it was, it grew 30%. So it's in this like very rapid growth phase, the full global carbon markets, which includes compliance markets somewhere around $300 billion. Um, payment for ecosystem services where people, where there's, there's payment for specific ecological stewardship that's taking place somewhere that a stakeholder needs somewhere around $40 billion a year. Um, so these are, you know, and, and these markets are set to grow to two to $5 trillion a year over between now and 2030, 2035. So it's very fast ramp up that's taking place. Lots of activity, lots of investment activity, even in this bear market, in quotes. So um, what Region Network does is it allows people to come together and create a credit minting standard, right? Where you say, this is how we're going to measure, this is what we're going to measure, how we're going to measure it, how we're going to answer additionality, durability, leakage, permanence, um, if you're in the case of carbon credits or in the case of biodiversity credits or other credit forms, you'll have different criteria that you're answering. So we have a registry system that allows you to govern credit minting standards and then follow those credit minting standards on chain and result in a fully transparent digital auditable credit. And that's what that's the functionality region network has. That's our core utility as a network. Right. And our our state machine, our, our governance is built around securing and um, and giving that functionality to a community and allowing that community to govern those crediting standards efficiently. And that's a that's sort of like using a public blockchain as a um, governance network and registry system and and marketplace for these types of credits is really quite transformative because it creates this vertically integrated application specific blockchain that allows us to disintermediate huge parts of the market. So if we get back into like carbon credit markets as they exist right now, they're really inefficient. It's There's a lot of middlemen in between a buyer and a seller. It's very hard to do mm -hmm. price discovery. Um, it's very hard to know exactly what you're getting and by integrating a registry system um, with a marketplace, we really disintermediate that. So you know exactly what you're getting. It's efficient to, to like mint and go through the process. And then you can actually set the foundation for this efficient price discovery. We know what we're getting and why we're getting it. And just like really transform that industry and build it on solid footing. One of the other things that's very exciting about how we've approached things at Region Network is stakeholder governance. So traditionally, a market like this may end up getting captured by demand. If that makes sense. Like it's like the people with the money end up capturing the full marketplace. Well, in this case, we actually have land stewards and indigenous people and scientists participating in governing and owning the network 
alongside the buyers and the corporates and the verifiers and these other bodies. So there's like a co-ownership of the marketplace and the platform, which generates the legitimacy, the transparency, the efficiency, and the trust that the market requires to actually work and to generate the outcome. At the end of the day, the, the outcome needs to be that the, that the unit that you buy clearly and directly represents the impact that it says it does, right? That's the mm. core question, right? That's the core question. And any of the challenges and confidence that the marketplace has around that undermine the value of, of that unit for sure. So that's kind of, you know, region networks focus. And circling back to NCT, you know, NCT is this first generation liquidity launch of the best possible in this moment carbon credits, right? And then there's this next generation. And I just mentioned, we've built this functionality on chain. We've built a whole community. So there's more than 40 different groups innovating their own credit classes right now, going through governance and science. It's a, That's a giant undertaking. It just people should understand there's a huge amount of science, research, development, and community power going into what's taking place. Six of those credit classes are coming over the next two quarters into regions marketplace. So there's Kulshin Carbon Trust, which is biochar credits. There's uh, Roots um, Holistic Management, uh, soil carbon credits. There are um, environmental stewardship credits coming online. There's Jaguar biodiversity credits coming online. There's uh, European uh, regenerative agriculture credits coming online. Um, higher quality, more sureness than the compliance market. And a lot of these are getting pre-bought. Like some of these credits you can't get, like they won't even make it to the marketplace. People are just going to buy them before they come on chain. Um, so that's sort of like the real excitement is as we get to this next generation of carbon credits. Um, and somebody asked, what does the region token do? Region token secures the application specific blockchain. So region token is, uh, is really focused on governing and securing a proof of stake blockchain. So it's a proof of stake token and its primary utility is security and governance of the core utility. Right. So up any software upgrades and other things we haven't gotten to talk about. I mean, we sort of went in a little circle around the carbon market questions, but we haven't got talked so much about region ledger 5.0 and sort of governance. Yeah, we can also dig into sort of, you know, tokenomics. But the high level takeaway for folks is that the, currently the tokenomics of region ledger are a pretty standard proof of stake token economics. Right. Yeah. Um, and Any plans to have, for that to evolve in the future? Like, yeah, let's let's talk about sure. and we, a little bit, then, and we can talk about Region 5.0. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's active conversations in in Commonwealth right now about um, upgrading the token economics. Um, I'm kind of a token economics. Um, I'm I'm a bit conservative about token economics upgrades, meaning. Um, I want to see, I want to see an engineer upgrades to the token economics that are not contrived and directly benefit the utility that the network is creating. Um, so, you know, I think an engineering token economics upgrades is is complex. So I think I'm of the opinion this is something that we evolve slowly, 
And this is what we outlined in the white paper and the token economics paper. There's a technical token economics paper that sort of charted the forward pathway, but also talked about the choice of using just standard proof of stake and why, and some of the options that were considered. If people are interested, they can go geek out on that. Some of the token economics upgrades that I think are going to be probably fairly quickly and easily adopted that are small are going to be shifting to burn region in order to mint eco credits, making it possible to collateralize eco credit, credit claims with region as a form of collateral, um, um, and some specific um, reallocation of uh, token protocol emissions like inflation rewards for specific public goods and utilities beyond security because security is what's incentivized solely what's incentivized at the moment. Um, those are three things that I think are going to be fairly non-controversial and aren't radical changes to the token economics. There are also, <clears throat> I mean, there's also a pretty fundamental radical upgrade coming up. Likely it's in governance right now, which is a shift to adopt the liquid staking module, right? And that actually transforms the economics entirely. <laughs> and, you know, that looks like it's going to move forward. And I'm quite excited because that also gives us more tools to build liquidity around eco credits, for instance, in creative ways. So that's a very interesting sort of evolution that's taking place kind of organically, right? Um, the, and the whole community of Cosmos is, is engaging in that. <clears throat> Sorry, I just have a bit of an audio issue. Um, Okay. Yeah, a stream yard just started playing some music in the background. I don't, I, I don't know if you guys could hear that, but that was a bit weird. Uh, yeah, so I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the uh, Regen 5.0 upgrade. So there's a GitHub page that uh, I'll put in the show notes. There's a governance proposal that passed in January um, explaining this upgrade. And there's a, there's a couple of interesting things in here. So um, you guys have implemented uh, some DAO support, uh, some improvements to government's, governance proposal, uh, interchain accounts, and also relayer, relayer incentivization. Um, how significant is this upgrade? And uh, what does it mean for, and, and how, how is it going to change you know, effectively? Uh, I, think the, I think a big thing here is really uh, governance. Um, how, how do you think this upgrade will change governance of Regen moving forward? Yeah, it's a huge upgrade. <clears throat> Group module is really a big deal, and it's going to transform not just Regen Ledger's governance. I, I think we might be the first chain that's running it, um, but uh, ecosystem-wide in the Cosmos ecosystem. So what Group module allows is for you to essentially create a DAO, a collection of addresses, and then set a governance policy over any of the capabilities that that address has. Um, so for instance, you could create a DAO that's governing the community spend pool and elect members to that DAO, right? You could create a DAO that's governing token inflation rates. If you wanted like a Fed, or something like that. You, you know, um, you could have a DAO that's governing any on-chain parameter. Like, and for us, this is about eco credits. So we can create subgroups 
that are specifically governing eco crediting parameters, um, methodology parameters, and other functionality that we've built into the blockchain. I think we'll also use it to um, engage a little bit with governance of, like, for instance, the community spin pool. And this is, I, I want to get into, you know, I met, you mentioned, you know, Gregory's bearish on Cosmos. Well, let me say why, right? Because we continue to, to procrastinate dealing with important structural governance and funding of public goods issues. And instead, we engage in politics that are essentially, you know, I want to get money from all of you. And so I'm going to like engage in a political fight over this single issue instead of engaging in the, we actually need to transform and create a process that improves the likelihood that the outcome of those sorts of political engagements is going to be net positive for our protocol and our ecosystem. And, in, and, and it makes yeah. me bearish as hell right now because I'm like, who's going to step up and make sure that like, who's the adult in the room? Who's going to make sure to actually focus on the protocol level upgrades, the governance level upgrades, and just frankly, the people who do step up and, and take that kind of responsibility. And if I could toot my own horn here, like Regen has always done that, you know, tend to get like left behind. And, you know, we're, we're not the loudest voice in the room. There's not hype. There's not a money grab involved. So it's like people just forget about it. And so if that continues, if that dynamic continues in Cosmos, where we're just eroding and degrading the, the, the decorum, the governance capability and the tools for our own personal gain, then, you know, the, the value that's trying to be generated and the ecosystem approach will be eroded over time and the value will be eroded over time and the value of everybody's atoms and Osmo and everything, Juno, everything will get eroded because of that, because we're all in this hmm. inter interdependent ecosystem. So, you know, it's a yeah, I, feel, I feel like the issues with governance on blockchain just sort of mirrors and amplifies the issues of democratic governance and yeah i'm I'm also not always super enthused about the way governance is is sort of managed or discussed you know i feel like I had but we have every opportunity to change that the, the bullish yeah, case yeah, but, here the bullish case here is yeah. that we have that we can iterate and experiment and create effective ways to govern. And so that's part of what the group module allows. The group module yeah. allows for flexible delegated governance over specific elements that's transparent, right? That's fully transparent and that allows auth Z to oversee things. So you can have the community override something or boot out a delegate. You can assemble a group of people and in a much more effective way than just like, hey, this is a multi-sig. So I yeah. think group I, I hope, I, I really hope that, that is the first, like it's, and DowDow is great too. Like just a shout out to Jake and the yeah. DowDow innovation, other stuff. Awesome, awesome stuff. Not everybody's going to adopt Cosmwasm, right? So this is a sort of safe and audited part of the Cosmos SDK that natively allows a blockchain running an IBC blockchain to deal with a lot of the governance issues from a software perspective. It doesn't solve like the meta issue of democratic governance, but 
you know, one of the things I think we need to be a little bit more courageous around, and, and this is sort of like my hot take number two was, you know, blockchains don't diminish the need for humans, right? Yeah. Fundamentally, this is a coordination. Blockchains are a piece of software that allows a community to generate consensus and represent that consensus computationally. That can be value in different in different domains and different circumstances. But that is, by definition, a governance activity. We are we are coming together with our computers and generating consensus. So if we don't think deeply about what that means and how to do it well and have experiments so that different people are trying different things, then we're we're losing the thread, I think, of what is actually transformative about the technology. Yeah, I, I had this conversation with Jake a couple of weeks ago, and and you know his argument was, hey, you know, if, if you're if you're going to want to deal with the community, you if you if you want to if you want to appeal to the community for funding, for example, you've got to deal with the fact that you're you know you're talking with the community, and so you have to address all the issues and and. I don't think that I think that works maybe now, but I don't think it works at a scale that we envisage blockchains to become. Right? It, it doesn't work when uh, when you have potentially billions of people interacting with blockchains, businesses, etc. You need to have some amount of responsibility placed on people or groups of people because because I mean, effectively, this is why this is why we have. I mean, to some extent, you know, democracies, we, we have layers of abstraction between decision making and, um, and, and those who are concerned. Now, you know, it doesn't always work very well. In fact, I think the issue that we, the issue with democratic society is that there isn't enough accountability for decisions made. There isn't enough transparency around, um, around how decisions are made, who's involved, who they, what the incentives are, um, how money is spent, uh, who, who, who stands to profit from decisions. And I think with blockchains, you know, we, we, we sort of create this opportunity to improve those systems by having accountability up and down the government's, uh, governance stack. Um, there's a long way to go still. And, uh, and I, I think you know, the, when you say that, you know, of course, people, you know, the blockchains don't, don't eliminate the need for people, um, but they do, they do, they do tend to amplify lots of voices. And I think that that is something also that, you know, it's something that also needs to be recognized as, 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 as part of the, as part of the, um, I guess, uh, as part of the landscape. Right. So if you're in a in a if you're in a in a in a position of responsibility, or you have some responsibility over some part of governance, um, we I, I think that a lot of times we let ourselves be clouded by the opinions of you know faceless faceless anonymous people, right? And so yeah, um, that's where sure. accountability also needs to happen on this. On you know you also I, oh, we also need to expect accountability of people making claims, right? And then- For sure, um, 100%. For, for like, yeah. I think we're yeah. aligned. And I think, you know, my my definite, my 
hope is that the group module specifically in that specific piece of SDK kit that shipped with 046, right? And is now available to any blockchain out there um, in the Cosmos ecosystem allows us to create what I would refer to as more nested governance. Meaning you can have accountable, responsible people looking out for specific things who are elected to that position or appointed to that position um, or or rotating into that position. I mean, you can think of, there's amazing history of people experimenting with different ways of decision-making and governance, right? We have the, the full world is at our fingertips in terms of, you know, I'm not here to prescribe what the best way of doing that is. I just think we need to get busy getting more specific about who's accountable for what, right? How are they being held accountable? Because as you said, it's too complex. I believe it's too complex at this stage to continue to just have like unicameral mob rule. Like, like people yeah, should study history. Work. There was a unicameral uh, government in France for like, how long did that last? And what happened afterwards? A bunch of people's mm, heads got yeah. chopped off is the, is the, is, is the, is end, the, of <laughs> the end of that story. That The end of that experiment yeah. is like, people swayed the mob and all everybody da, 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 and all this stuff happened. And then like, you know, the original people of the revolution went and got all their heads chopped off and then and everybody who disagreed and all this other stuff. And so it's so what happens when you create conditions where like the, the loudest, most toxic voice can manipulate public opinion and push something through. So democracy evolved to have checks and balances right? There are checks and balances and there's a separation of different functions that then check each other. And I think we need to evolve quickly, quickly and effectively evolve checks and balances. Like we're doing this on Regen Ledger as quickly as we can with our community. But, you know, I think more broadly in the Cosmos ecosystem, Cosmos Hub and beyond, there needs to be clear checks and balances and clear thinking about how to manage that for for the benefit of the whole protocol and the larger ecosystem as well. Well, uh, that's I, that's a great note to end on. Uh, I think we agree on the governance part. Uh, I'm very hopeful to see. Uh, well, I'm I think I'm a little bit less bearish than you. I think I'm, I'm quite hopeful that these things will get sorted out. Um, well, I guess I really am too. Also, but I want to kind yeah. of like I want to push people a little bit. And I want, you know, I think yeah. somebody needs to be like, I've been that guy in the Cosmos ecosystem who's been saying, we'll figure it out. Like, let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I've been saying that for like five years and, and, and working hard to make certain things true and like, like engage and roll sleeves up and, and, and do things at this, but I just crossed a line and just like, yeah. that's the truth. Like, like I crossed the line and on this side of the line now I'm like, you know, either action is taken or it's a failure. And so like things need to happen now and like that and, and otherwise we're, we're really deeply in trouble. So like yeah. I will not vote yes on any governance proposal on the Cosmos Hub 
that isn't dealing with checks and balances and prop governance process. Anything that comes up, I am a no to. And I would encourage everyone else to be a no to. We should have a moratorium on any new spins. We should have a moratorium on any new upgrades. And we should say, the most important thing is to have a charter and a process and set of checks and balances in a first iteration, even if it's only for a period of time, right? Even if it's like, we're going to do this for a quarter or whatever it is, I don't know how to push it through, but I really strongly believe nothing else should go through until that happens, basically. That, and um, that's just my sort of opinion. And the Cosmos Hub leads, and that's the role of the Cosmos Hub. I mean, pe other people experiment in the things, but in a conservative, slow way, Cosmos Hub is still, in a lot of ways, the heart of everything. And so those of us who are OGs and those of us who are new Gs and those of us who um, care, I think we should just basically be like procedurally, I don't know, we, maybe we need to start a new political party or something. It's like, you know, nothing well, happens until are. we have process. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's like, the, um, I don't know, but that's the, the that's Gregory's like, um, no more tolerance. And, and and this is like, I'm saying things like, I agree with a lot of the stuff that's coming through. It's like, I, I agree with it, but I think there's a deeper thing that has to be addressed. And I know that that's hard and that different people are going to have different feelings and challenges with that. But my opinion is, until we deal with that, I can't say yes to anything because it's too, because I don't have the capability to follow all the threads and to assess all the things. I need to know who's accountable and who, how I can hold them accountable to deal with the complex decision making that already exists, let alone is going to exist in the future. Yeah. Well, we could spend another hour just talking about the Cosmos Hub. And I realize we haven't, we ha I've got so much, so much more stuff here on, on my rundown that I wish we could have talked about, but we'll have to keep it for another time. Um, Greg, it's been great having you on and yeah, thanks, uh, thanks for being so generous with your time. I know you have another call in a, in a couple of minutes here where you're going to have to ramble for another, <laughs> another, yeah, another you know, hour. People who, live, <laughs> people who are live and want to listen to someone basically rip apart the, um, critiques of carbon markets uh, live on Twitter spaces, head over to region networks, Twitter, cause I'm going to be, um, interviewing um, Steve Zwick, who's been in the space for a long time and is the director of media at Vera, which is the biggest um, carbon, voluntary carbon um, registry system. And there's recently been a bunch of drama, Guardian articles and other things calling into question, you know, all sorts of things. We released, we did a bunch of science on all of this um, Steve is going to be talking all about, we've tried to cover it from all sides, but Steve is going to sort of like give his take and, um, it's probably useful for people to listen. And if you're curious about the, you know, the, the foundations and how solid the foundations are for, for carbon markets moving forward, it should be an interesting Twitter spaces. Awesome. Thanks so much, Greg. Talk to you soon. Ciao. And to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We go live every week, so make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell, and subscribe to get notified. And if you enjoyed this content, please consider staking with Interop. We're live on Evmos, Quicksilver, and now Juno on Osmosis. We're at the very bottom of the list on Juno on Osmosis, and I'm really hoping that we can climb up the ranks uh, by attracting more delegations from people like you. So if you enjoy this content, please support the channel by staking with Interop. That's it for me. I'll see you next week.